You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is part four of the season review series. We stop by the quarterback room and also the specialists and knock out the two smallest rooms in one day. And also, we're celebrating today the top 10 celebrations of the season. Who had a better year than Miami in that category? We'll also give you championship round thoughts. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And just like that, there was one. One football game remains the Super Bowl. I get like super down this time of year, man. Like when we only have one football game left and then zero football games left, I always wind up kind of counting the minutes off the clock in the Super Bowl. And I don't really enjoy it as much as I probably should because like we don't get football for seven more months after that. So hope you enjoyed it. Let's go ahead and talk about the championship round. But first, we open with some Miami Dolphins related news on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. The NFL Network reported that the Dolphins and Vic Fangio, NFL uh, or around the NFL fans will appreciate that reference, have agreed in principle on a deal to make him the newest Miami Dolphins defensive coordinator. And I want to give you my flash points and then give you a better breakdown on Wednesday's show when I've had some time to look deeper into Vic Fangio and the numbers. We'll go to Sports Info Solutions and Pro Football Focus and grind some tape as well. I want to go back and watch how they defended Josh Allen's Buffalo Bills, how they defended Patrick Mahomes' Kansas City Chiefs, how they defended Tua Tungavailoa in 2020 in that game up in Denver. All that stuff I want to get to. And when we get it official for you, I'll give you the deep dive on coach as well, which I prefer anyway, because like I said, it gives me more time to give you a thorough, credible analysis on what coach brings to the table. Off the top, though, the flashpoints, we know a few things that he brings. Good defense. He coaches good defense wherever he goes. He brings a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, a lot of respect around the NFL. And there are several things that get me excited about this hire. All of you guys know that I was big on the Mike McDaniel train last year. In fact, I wanted him to get the OC job in 2021 when his name circulated around that particular position. This was the guy that I was hoping the Dolphins would land, as many of you were in that same boat, because why wouldn't you? The proof is in the pudding, just like it was with Mike McDaniel. This reminds me, and I'm sure you've heard this already, I've been talking about it to people that I've you know text with about the potential of Vic Fangio joining the Dolphins staff. Reminds me of when the Sean McVay got his Wade Phillips. Like, I'm the head coach of the team. I specialize in offense. You go be the head coach of the defense. And that's what the contract those guys got would signify, that they basically run the defense. And it gives you another head coach in the building, which is never, ever, ever a bad thing. 
What a perfect balance, by the way. That's kind of how Wade Phillips was. You've got the young, very, very smart, kind of quirky, upshot guy, and the old, respected, grizzled vet who clearly has a mutual respect between the two of them, which is so vitally, critically important. Uh, You wouldn't take that job if you didn't. They share the same agent, so I'm sure that was a big part of it, and making him the highest-paid defensive coordinator. Like, Dolphins got their guy, man. Um, more on that just a second. The four-man rush packages, I'm sure you know about his defense and kind of how he runs things. Four-man rush, no blitzing. It's like a 15% blitz defense, which is a reduction of over 50% of what the Dolphins have ran traditionally the last couple of years. And we, as we talked about on the podcast, the personnel kind of shifted away from that style of defense. The Dolphins did not shift away from that style of defense. You have to imagine this goes in that direction, especially after the Bradley Chubb trade and how this team should, should be able to generate pressure with just four rushers. Again, we'll talk more about that on Wednesday, but man, I'm fired about that. Uh, the three-year deal is what was reported on NFL Network, which gives you continuity, which you have never really gotten. Uh, I mean, the Dolphins, we've always talked about this, right? How one side of the ball seems to get good and the other seems to step backwards. And what's the big reason for that? Because you're instable at the assistant positions, at the coordinator positions. You can't develop the same system on either side of the football every coach the Dolphins have had has failed at surrounding themselves with good assistant coaches going back to like Tony Sperano. I mean, Brian Flores didn't work out for him, didn't work out for Adam Gaze at bringing in a defensive coordinator on the other side of the football. Joe Philbin didn't do it. I mean, Kevin Coyle was his first hire. Uh, Tony Sperano was really the last one with um, Mike Nolan in 2010. was actually the last time the Dolphins hired a not first-time defensive coordinator on that side of the ball. Those are some of the best defenses we had in those early 2010s. Uh, I already know what the defense can do. I think this corrects a lot of issues on the Dolphins' defense in terms of the personnel matching the, the talent they have and the scheme. I think the expectations should be a lot higher for this Dolphins team. And I just think the Dolphins' ability to close on big-time names is different and attracting big-time names. Tyreek Hill, Teron Armstead, those guys both had to choose to come here. Now Vic Fangio makes that same choice. Uh, I just, I'm really pumped up about the possibilities here and how the defense will match its personnel now um, in terms of the zone. We talked about that a lot, right? Two high shells, zone defense. We'll see what the safety position looks like going forward. So I know Javon Holland probably has a big role there. We'll talk more about players as benefits uh, with this new defensive shift uh, on a future podcast. But man, I, it's there's a lot to be excited about here. But those are your flashpoints, man. It's a lot, a lot of stuff to get to. I want to study the tape and come back to you guys and talk about that. Before we do that, on Wednesday's podcast, let's talk about championship weekend, what we learned from the AFC-NFC championship games. One really good game, one not-so-good game. Another quarterback injury takes the Niners pretty much out of it, all away across the board as the Eagles wipe them out for another blowout victory for themselves in the championship round. They've had that the last two times they went, and the... Kansas City Chiefs knock off the Cincinnati Bengals, which I was happy to see. The Bengals were talking too much, and the Chiefs were... I, I like Mahomes a lot better than the, <laughs> the personnel the Chiefs or the Bengals have, I should say. But what we learned from championship weekend, pretty brief to me. We talked about the running game, control the line of scrimmage, and the divisional round weekend, which I think is still very important this time of year. But what we noticed in this round was that the stars make the plays that make the difference. Devontae Smith's catch on that fourth down, that wasn't actually a catch, but I mean, still hell of an effort and looked really good. Christian McCaffrey's tackle-breaking run for the Niners only touchdown to tie that game after Brock Purdy had gone out. Hassan Reddick having like 45 sacks and 16 forced fumbles and recovering 45 of those. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey on that scramble touchdown. Both Chase Higgins, or Chase Higgins, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase making absurd 
individual efforts to make big plays, one for a touchdown, one on fourth and sixth to keep the Bengals kind of in that game. And then obviously Chris Jones was getting pressure up front constantly. I've always said that defense is as good as the offense they play in the NFL, but man, that dynamic changes when your front four is unstoppable, which kind of goes back to the Vic Fangio stuff. Like get Chubb, get Phillips, get Ogba, get Wilkins, get Sealer coming downhill, rush the quarterback, put pressure on them. And if your coverage schemes are confusing enough and complex enough to confuse the quarterback to hold the ball for just a few more seconds, for a few more tenths of a second, That'll make all the difference in the world for the Dolphins' pass rush that was very good, but couldn't quite finish this season. Kind of learned that in this game, in these games with the Eagles' front and with how the Chiefs got after the Bengals with their mismatch offensive line. The Chiefs' front's not normally that dominant, but the Bengals' offensive line was so short-handed, it kind of turned out that way. So, again, more on Vic Fangio. The rumor, or not the rumor, the reports that he's been hired by the Miami Dolphins. We'll have more, and that's official for you guys on a future episode. Real quick, Wiffle Blast did not finish it, did not bring the title home. I had a chance on the very last game to hit the the longest shot. Once you tie a game, uh, they go to a one hit pitch off, and I was hitting some some pretty good shots all day. So I got the I got the call to have the tie breaking hit off, and I hit a ground ball that like hit the ground and skipped all the way beyond the home run marker, which I thought was good. But they said no, it's where the ball first lands. The next guy comes up and hits a ground ball that just barely gets higher than mine, but then stops like right there. So I was like, man, I hit that. My exit velo was like 100 miles an hour more than his. But it went further, so we lost. It was my fault. Um, sucks. We lost in the first round of the playoffs. Went 4-0. We've now gone 11-0 in the last two years. Wiffle Blast 2023. A failure, though, for Juice Crew because we got bounced in the first round. So there you go. That's the weekend update championship round. Uh, the reports of Vic Fangio being the Dolphins' new defensive coordinator. And Wiffle Blast updates for 2023. Busy podcast still to come here, so... Let's pick it up with the fourth part of our season review series and go to the quarterback room, a place I'm sure many of you have been looking forward to this particular episode of the series here, breaking down the roster, what we have, what we have going forward, what's out there and all that fun stuff, getting you ready for the off season ahead in just a little over six weeks now before the new league year. And we're going to do quarterbacks as well as the specialists talking with the quarterbacks here and the team accomplishments and stats that occurred. The Dolphins had the fourth most passing yards in the NFL this year, 4,765. And again, that's without their quarterback for four and a half games. They were tied for fourth with 30 touchdown passes this year without their quarterback for four and a half games. And they were eighth in passer rating at 95 without their quarterback for four and a half games. We threw for the most yards we've thrown for since Dan Marino was under center. That's pretty cool. And as a whole, I mean, what have I talked about on this podcast more than Tua Tungavailoa? I'm just such a believer in his game, and I think he showed you why I felt that way this season. His ability to attack the whole field based on a snapshot of information, to be able to get the information backside based upon his front side read and make decisions and have the release to get the football out commensurate with that decision making. It's your your mind, your feet, your arm are all hardwired together. That is immense quarterback talent. And we're going to touch on this more in a second here. I'll circle back to that. But the strides that he made with his eye discipline and the fact that the offense had progressions built in rather than just like, hey, look at that. If it's not there, figure it out yourself. Like, (laughs) good luck. Um, That was cool. The downfield threat that was among the best in the NFL this year. 
the ability to make plays against pressure and mitigate free hitters or create with his pocket mobility. Like, I feel like that's an overlooked part of his game. Like people say he's not mobile and he's not like the fastest guy by any stretch, but he creates, I mean, his first two years in the league, he had some of the best pressure evasion rates in the NFL. Again, he's not going to burn you with like the, you know, 50 yard scramble. He's not going to get out on the move and throw a rope 50 yards downfield on the move, but he can still evade pressure and make plays against pressure. And that pocket mobility is very good. And of course the accuracy to turn a 15 yard complete versus the Packers into a chance for Waddle to open it up and run 84 yards or the 59-yarder in Baltimore or the 67-yarder in Buffalo or the you-get-the-freaking-idea, 75 yards against the 49ers to Trent Sherfield. I think we have a quarterback who has shown high, high level of play in terms of the between-the-ear stuff. And, you know, Mike McDaniel talks about it with Tua on the sidelines mid-games when he doesn't have to. He's not doing that for the cameras or for the show. He's doing it because it's the truth. Do you think you know more about quarterback play than Mike McDaniel? I don't. I take his word over mine, and I do this stuff a lot. Tua took a professional approach, put in the work, and showed you he has what it takes to excel in the most important arena of the position, the processing, manipulation, application of all that stuff. And the best part about that is he's 24 years old. It's only going to get better. We even saw growth with things within the season, even within a game. McDaniel described the mistakes on the second interception of the Baltimore game and what he was able to do after that. I mean, five touchdown passes and the second most passing yards in a game this season in the entire National Football League. And let's go ahead and circle back to the talent thing because I've seen this in a few places. And I don't worry about fans that, you know, 90% of fans don't understand the nuance that is football. And that's totally fine. Like, it takes a lot to know this game. But I also see it from people that cover the game, beat writers. And, and you know, like, for instance, they're as a beat writer in Houston was talking about, he used to work for the Jets beat and he was talking about Tua and Zach Wilson and said that Zach Wilson's more talented than Tua. No, he's not (laughs) like talent. Isn't just how far you can throw a football, man. It drives me crazy. Talent is the things I just talked about. Talent is what Kurt Warner broke down after the Baltimore game. And Josh McCown broke it down, talked about his time with Kurt Warner in the same quarterback room and the ability to see things, to see them open up before they do the processing, the application. That's talent. That's part of the quarterback position. Talent isn't just what's attached to your shoulder. It's everything. It's you know, and even arm talent, like that's not just velocity. Arm talent is layering a football into, you know, into a bucket over coverage and, and underneath coverage at the same time, like the two hole, the cover two hole. Arm talent is, you know, mitigating a rusher and having your feet not aligned to your target and being able to drop your arm slot and throw a football accurately, regardless of where that elbow is or where the release point is. Tua does all that stuff, man. He's not going to throw a fastball through your chest, but he's got immense arm talent in terms of the awkward platforms and the multi-level of pitches you have to have in your bag to excel at this position in this league. So that's talent in and of itself, but also the other stuff I mentioned, which really is what really Peter Griffin grinds my gears. Like that's talent, man. It's not just about who can go out for a pro day and throw the football in shorts. Like it drives me absolutely nuts. So this is a very talented quarterback. There's a reason that everybody wanted a piece of him after his college career before the hip injury. There's a reason why he played at a super high level for a super, for the majority of the season, a super majority. What the hell does that mean? I don't know, man. Like I get on these tangents and and rant and rave on these podcasts talking about this guy because I just feel like he is so unfairly covered by everybody else and is held to a different standard that even, you know, go watch somebody else play football. Tell me what their games look like. Like compare other quarterbacks to what Tua does. And he all year long 
except for a bad stretch of games, which by the way, just because you had four bad games or, you know, it wasn't even that, like in the four losses, I think two and a quarter of those games were bad by Tua. The other game in three quarters was really, really freaking good. In fact, that Buffalo tape on the road is one of the best quarterback tapes I've watched of a Miami Dolphins quarterback. And I've been doing that since 2012, you know, Ryan Tannehill's rookie year. It's not a high bar, but you get what I'm saying. Like it was a great tape. And so you can't just discount a quarterback because he had three games you didn't like. You can't pick and choose that way because I can give you any even more games that he was good in. So I just get really, I'm really annoyed by the discourse around this quarterback. I thought his performance this year would end that. I think it mostly has. And again, you know, Twitter's not a representation of real life, but I see so, some folks talking about it. The durability, not going to argue with you guys on that. That's got to get itself corrected. But as far as the ability, it's really, really, really damn good. I say so. Mike McDaniel says so. You should trust people like that. With Teddy... Bridgewater, we heard Skylar talk about his presence a lot in terms of that veteran leadership that he provides and helping him understand the nuances of the offense and the league in general. I think when you talk about backup quarterbacks as a whole, as the football cognoscenti, as it were, we tend to undervalue the, well, the value of the backup quarterback supporting the room in general, helping with cutups. Hey, go get me their third and long reel. How do they blitz, uh, you know, when we when we motion this H back across the formation, how do they convert their coverages? How do they rotate their safeties? How do they make them hybrid and interchangeable? Explaining what he sees in terms of coverage, decisions, communicating the offense in the way that's easiest for a player to digest. And based on the way Skylar talked about Teddy this year, I think it's an invaluable trait. Miami has to find that again in that backup position. Teddy did see the field, including, you know, some up and down spots against the Vikings and Bengals. Uh, didn't play, I think, like you would hope from a player that you put that type of investment into, but I think his veteran presence was tangible in that way. Then with Skylar Thompson, about as much as you can ask from a seventh round rookie, and as coach mentioned at the one press or at one presser, the challenge of getting the experience, uh, you know, as the number three guy, when the only reps you're getting are the ones over in the indoor structure after practice, you know, I would think it's safe to say you can see a big jump from Skylar in terms of how he just understands the offense, understands the pro game and the speed of the game. I hope so, because that was, you know, something we needed when he stepped onto the field. And it's your third quarterback. I don't expect, you know, a whole lot more than what you got, but you need to take a big step in that area. And I think the way he works, the way he, you know, perfects his craft, know that about it. He'll do that this offseason when you ask me. Let's go ahead and look at the numbers of the individuals here. Tua Tungavailoa, we've been over the rankings, right? He was a top 10 quarterback in virtually every category. Top two, three in the ones that really indicate the level of individual performance right alongside, you know, combinations of Allen, Mahomes, Burrow, Hurts. But for some reason, when Tua does it, doesn't count. Fired up here, man. Oh, yards per attempt, 8.9 of the NFL. Touchdown interception ratio was 3.125. Haven't had that at a quarterback since Dan Marino. Or did Chad Pennington do it in 2008? I don't know, but a 3-1 to one touchdown interception ratio is pretty good. And, you know, three of those in the Packer game, too. Drop touchdowns, whatever. Uh, yards per game, 272.9. He was second in the NFL in EPA per drop back at .24. That was behind only Mahomes. His 5% sack percentage was also top 10. His pass rating of 105.5 was tops, and his total QBR at 68.9 was third in the National Football League. Teddy Bridgewater had an 8.6 YPA, so not a big drop-off from Tua, but his touchdown-interception ratio was 1. Uh, his yards per game was 136.6, so over 140 yards fewer than what we got with Tua at quarterback. His EPA per dropback was in the negative, so it was either top two or, you know, under 32. 
uh, EPA per dropback. Sack percentage, 8.1%, went up 3% without Tua in there. Passer rating, 85.6. Total QBR, 47.6. Skylar Thompson had 5.1 yards per attempt. Uh, a touchdown interception ratio of 0.33, 1 to 3. 76 y- passing yards per game. His EPA per dropback was way in the negative. A 5.4% sack rate, 62.2 passer rating, and a 27.1 total QBR. What's going to be available out there? Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and do that next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We ended the first segment there talking about the quarterbacks. I want to get into the specialists here in segment number two after we cover championship weekend and wiffle blast and all that fun stuff. Again, one more football game left, and then we dive all the way into Senior Bowl coverage. That's going to come your way on the next podcast here. I haven't quite nailed down what I'm going to do exactly with Senior Bowl. I'm not going, so we will figure that out. But let's go ahead and get back to the quarterback position here and talk about what's you know ahead in terms of the primer and probably the most intriguing, talking about free agency here at quarterback, uh, and unique situations or team needs, not just on the Miami Dolphins, but in the league in general, the Dolphins need one of two things, either better stability from their franchise quarterback, something, you know, Tua has proven with his ability, the franchise quarterback just needs the former to make it so. And thing two is much, much, much better play when he's not out there. You can't control number one, you can control number two. And the upshot here, since Tua remains on that rookie deal, is you're still at a significant advantage in terms of your contemporaries across the league who have quarterbacks on their second or third deals or you know non-rookie contracts, even if you pay your backup quarterback the most money in football. They tried that with Teddy Bridgewater, just didn't work out. We can talk about Skyler in that role for me in 2024. It was just far too green far too many missed layups, you know, things that we needed in that Buffalo game we didn't get. That's my first requirement for a backup quarterback. Hit the layups, protect the football, and if you can play better defense and have a better running game, that's how you play the backup quarterback role. So really, we need to do those things better to support our backup quarterback in the event that you need him. But for Skylar Thompson, like, let's see how he looks after an offseason of getting the offense down and having that kind of second nature language and uh, see where he can take his game from there because that element was it just really hum- hamstrung this explosive offense uh, in those games. Now, what are the options? Like there are, there are plenty. We know the top of the potential market is going to occur with trades and we know Derek Carr is on the move. We know Aaron Rodgers might be on the move. Is it him or Jordan Love? I'd personally be far more inclined to spend draft capital on Jordan Love 
just not that crazy about putting premium picks into a 39-year-old player who holds his franchise hostage every offseason. Even then, you know, this doesn't pertain to Miami. Like, don't get me wrong, I would love Jordan Love, huge fan of his game, but he's going to be a star somewhere next year, right? Being Green Bay, Green Bay or elsewhere, it's not going to be here, but I would love to take him as a backup flyer and develop him further. That's I, I like his game a lot. The most glaringly obvious one is Jimmy Garoppolo, but that's going to depend on the other dominoes. I have a hard time seeing Jimmy G not catching on the carousel when the music stops this offseason for one of the 32 gigs out there and the contract commensurate with that potential job. Now, if the dominoes fall in a way that he's without a starting job, then it makes a ton of sense to me to make him the highest paid number two quarterback in the NFL. That looks like, yet again, another one-year deal, probably seven, eight million bucks. Maybe it's more for a guy like Garoppolo because of his familiarity in the system and just what you know you're going to get from Jimmy Garoppolo when he's healthy and when he's playing to possibly maybe parlay that for himself into one more big contract next year, like in 2024, who knows? I think it happens for him this year, but beyond that, nothing really concrete. And frankly, I know what y'all say, but the best non-starter on this list in terms of anticipation, accuracy, maximizing, you know, playmakers with his processing is Gardner Minshew. I saw that man take the six play call sheet of Mike Leach, rest in peace, and the air raid, and just carve teams up with it in the Pac-12, and then go on to play. You know, he's played well at Jacksonville, at Philadelphia. Every time he has an opportunity to play, he plays well. The Saints game this year was bad. I thought he was good against the Cowboys, though. I think he's a great backup, and he also gives you that sort of Ryan Fitzpatrick lift where guys love him and, and are excited to play for him. The other one I'm really intrigued by is Sam Darnold. I do think he, like Garoppolo, will get a starting gig somewhere. But if not, he's not just good enough to give you some good play in a pinch, and there's plenty to, to not like about his game. Like, trust me, I get it. But there is some upside to his game, and there's an outside shot. He continues his development in a way that he did this year, I thought, his best ball as a pro, into something more. Like, I'm not banking on that, but it's an element that exists with him that really doesn't come with any of these other quarterbacks out there. In fact, I would say the guys that have the most, like, long-term upside on this list that are not, like, well-known names or, I guess, well-established guys in the league are him and Gardner Minshew. Lamar Jackson's not going anywhere. Brady to the Raiders feels like it makes a lot of sense. I think Jimmy G winds up with the Jets, personally. Daniel Jones going to re-sign with the Giants, and that's essentially it in terms of the potential starters. So... I'm not going to list those guys in my top tier here because I don't think any of them makes sense for Miami. But I'll go with Andy Dalton, who's a top market value in terms of backups at $7 million per year. Same amount we paid Teddy Bridgewater. He would be kind of that same level of veteran presence. And he can step in and play football at a high enough level to win games against like middling and bad teams if you lose your quarterback, like the Dolphins against the Jets this year. I would even say the Vikings, although they won 13 games, we could have won that game. Uh, the Patriots late, though, for instance, like all games you probably could have won if you had Andy Dalton level play at quarterback. The mid-range guys, Gardner Minshew. And, and look, I, I think he's better than the uh, top two guys on this list personally. But in terms of market value and what I think he'll get is in this mid-range. And then Baker Mayfield is my other mid-tier option. The bargains, I just pulled the two former Niners because you're not going to get anything of value at the bargain level. A quarterback doesn't work that way. The only one guy plays at a time. C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins are on that list. 
Uh, market value has Darnold and Mayfield in the five to six per range. Jimmy G's at 35 million, tells you what they think he's going next year. Then they've got Andy Dalton at 7 million, the top guy on that list. So interesting class. We'll see what happens. I expect Miami to, to probably have to kick some tires here and see what happens in, in the free agency market at quarterback. As far as the draft goes, I have long subscribed to the notion that most second and third round picks on quarterbacks are wasted. And don't tell me Travis Russell, Wilson, Jalen Hurts, yeah, tell me the other hundred guys that were drafted in rounds two and three over the last decade that didn't work out. If the guy isn't a franchise player, it's a waste because, again, only one quarterback can play at a time. So you can't, you know, draft a number three receiver, uh, you know, a, a swing guard. You can't, you know, draft an interior defensive lineman who goes to a reduction of 30%. Like, it doesn't work. You're either 100% playing or a 0% at quarterback. And, you know, the, the odds against guys hitting at that level in those rounds is very, very low. And on top of the fact that we're nowhere in position to make any kind of move for one of the top quarterbacks, and we should in any way, you're essentially looking at day three. So who are those day three options? Well, uh, let's just first here start at the top. I love, love, love Anthony Richardson's game and talking about him since last year when I just saw him do a freaking backflip after running four four forties. <laughs> like I thought that was really cool. And then he kind of showed you that the traits this year, he's awfully green, has a long way to go. I think Will Levis is a lot better than folks are giving him credit for. And I like the fact that he went through some S at Kentucky in terms of just getting beat up and not having the best surrounding talent around him. I think Bryce Young has a lot more question marks than the consensus is telling you right now. I think CJ Stroud is the best passer in the class, but his limited mobility and just kind of, I guess the way he plays the game, we'll see if it works out in the pros. I, I like his game, but he, it needs to be the right situation for him as it is for all these quarterbacks. Should be a fun draft as a result, but I think the real prizes are coming in 2024 and 2025. What are those day three names that I'm looking at? To be perfectly honest, not that far into it, but I just in general or in, in uh, terms of general college football, you know, observations this year. And honestly, man, like... I, I just, I would go the free agent route and keep developing Skyler because like all the guys that you typically get in this range are the high volume guys that come from pass heavy offenses that have like five or six years college experience. And you basically just uh, see if they can continue that production at the next level. I'm just not about that life. So like, you know, whether you're looking at, you know, Clayton Toon from Houston, eh, eh, eh. Hendon Hooker, I, I guess is a good developmental option, even though he's 25 years old coming off an ACL. Bo Nix at Oregon. I don't know, man. I don't love it. So yeah, go back to the free agency portion and listen to that part again. <laughs> Let's talk specialists here. Uh, number four, Thomas Morstead, 46.4 yards per punt. He had a net of 40 and a half. These numbers were consistent all year long. Uh, 45.9% rate inside the 20 yard line and just a 3.3% touchback rate. Thought he was very good this year. Jason Sanders, Joe he only missed six kicks this year. Seemed to really come in important times and just two of those were from under 50 yards, but 81.3% has to go up next year. PATs, 41 for 44. Hey, 44 touchdowns, not bad, right? But he's got to kick better next year. He knows that. Everyone knows that. Uh, 44, Blake Ferguson. No botched snaps. I know it's not an official stat, but from memory, we didn't have any snaps that forced us to like, you know, a punt or kick to not get off. But there were a lot of balls that kind of rolled into Morstead. So let's get those up next year. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side and do top 10 celebrations from your 2022 Miami Dolphins season. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield. Brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Top 10 celebrations on a Monday from your 2022 Miami Dolphins season. We start here on Christmas Day with Jalen Waddle, who takes it all the way home and celebrates with the only other person in the state of Florida who could have kept up with him on that day, Tyreek Hill. Tungavailoa under pressure, found a hole for Jalen Waddle, got a block and got free. Waddle with the speed, takes it inside the 30, keeps on going, all the way home, touchdown Miami. 84-yard lightning strike, Dolphins back in front. Things you love to see, this, one of the underrated aspects of Jalen's usual touchdown celebration to me was how he and Tyreek always did that like hands on the helmet across from one another embrace. He hits the waddle, Tyreek runs over and they dap each other up before the rest of the guys to uh, the offensive line. Christian Wilkins eventually get out there. They did it here after the long touchdown run when Tua throws a dime under pressure. Waddle hits the hezzy step and Tyreek's late block springs Waddle for the long touchdown. What a play. What a fun celebration to watch all year. But why no Waddle on Christmas Day, Jalen? I don't know. I'm not going to fault you, though, big guy. Number nine, get you some friends that gas you up the way Christian Wilkins gasses up Zach Sealer. Two best friends that anybody could have. Celebrate the sack from Motown's own son. Van Brown in motion. On third down and nine from the Lions 26. They got him. They got him. Sealer. Sealer with the sack. His first of the year. He's playing a whale of a football game, Joe. Well of a football game, well of a season for Zach Sealer. A massive stop by the defense amidst a fourth quarter shutout. Offense had just scored to take the lead for the first time all day after the defense couldn't get off the field all day. And it's Zach Sealer coming through for a sack to put the Lions behind the chains on second down. He comes off the pile and there's Christian Wilkins jumping on his back. And if you're a regular listener of the postgame show on 560 with me and Juice and Seth, Seth always refers to Zach as a GAM, a G-A-M, a grown-ass man. And I think that's pretty well exhibited here by the fact that 310-pound Christian Wilkins jumps on his back and it only like makes him stumble off of his path, like not even noticeably. Like He just basically absorbs it and keeps walking. Also, the touchdown celebration in Buffalo, I thought, was my favorite one. <laughs> Get a little big spoon, little spoon action, uh, cuddling in the end zone after Zach Sealer's touchdown in Buffalo. Honorable mention for that one there. Number seven. Number eight, rather, a gang of Dolphins arrives on the scene to pull down Cleveland quarterback Jacoby Brissett, and we see one of Bradley Chubb's many patented celebrations for the first time in Aqua and Orange. Brissett can't get away! Jalen Phillips, Melvin Ingram. 
How do you like that radio call or TV call? If you were unfamiliar with Bradley Chubb before, didn't get mentioned in the call there, but his dancing and celebrations are a close second to his ability to heat up opposing quarterbacks. Here, Chubb, Phillips, and Ingram meet at the quarterback after a dominant day of pressuring, hitting, and sacking Brissett. After this final one, Phillips and Chubb hit the... I don't know what it's called. I'm doing it right now at the studio. But like you put your arms in a circular motion and your hips orbit in the opposite direction. What's that called? I don't know. But what I liked about it was the guys embracing their new teammate after the best pass rush day the defense had all year and his second week there in Miami. First game in Miami as a Dolphin. Number seven, Raheem goes surfing in primetime. Hill in motion, back to throw. Gets a little bit of motion, flips it out to motion. has got the first down touchdown, Miami. Wow. Raheem Mostert. Tua Tungabailoa bought some time. Pulled up in the pocket. Saw Mostert out there all open. Jimmy wasn't looking to run. He was looking for an open receiver, and he got in Mostert for the touchdown. That, of course, was Tua's first touchdown after coming back from the uh, concussion suffered against the Bengals and a beautiful drive to start that punctuated by Tua scrambling and finding Raheem on the sideline and into the end zone. And then Raheem, Tyreek, and Jalen all do the pop-up in the end zone before catching a big wave that would have made Kanuku in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Paul Rudd, very, very proud. Now uh, You're doing too much. Now you're not doing anything. You're just boogie boarding. They're doing more than boogie boarding. They're surfing in the end zone at Hard Rock Stadium. Number six. Mike Gesicki introduces the world to his version of the gritty. Third down and 15. 14 make it. Edmonds the running back to a back to throw. Plenty of time. Looking end zone. Gesicki touchdown. He went high into the air to pull that down. Mike Gesicki, his first touchdown of the year. He threw that up high in the back of the end zone. And Mike Gesicki went up and got it. He sure did go up and get it. Two of the high back five throw, Gasicki the reach, taps the feet, the ensuing gritty that was a story all year long, doing it all over the field against the Vikings after the fact, then to close the year with it in the wild card playoff game in Buffalo. Good stuff, Mike. Good stuff. Number five, Alec Ingold needs a divot repair after spiking the grass. Tua pulls it down, now flips it to outside, and that is Ingold, the fullback diving for the end zone. Touchdown. So, Arch, it's going to be that kind of a day. Oh, yeah. Look at this ball handling by Tua. First of all, he takes a high snap. And then it just sort of ends. Just two weeks after Mike McDaniel praised his ability to punch the ball off the Ford Field turf and into the sky, Alec Ingold gets another chance after a beautiful scramble touchdown throw from Tua. Good blocking up the sideline and a great lunge by the Miami fullback to find the pylon. He springs to his feet and gets... By my inexact science, a solid 15 feet of hang time off the bounce. Alec Ingold, elite blocker, great fullback, elite spiker of the football. Number four, Snow Angels in Miami. Dolphins breaks four. Pick it in the middle. He's intercepted. Trying to force it in. And the safety, Javon Holland, took it away. And he's got it around midfield. Snow angels in the snow for a snowman makes sense, right? But can a snowman do a snow angel? Apparently they can. Javon Holland jumps a Kenny Pickett pass to thwart a potential go-ahead drive. He and the entire defense race to the opposite end zone to join the snowman for some snow angels. Or are they beach sand angels in South Florida? 
The jury remains out. Javon Hall at number four. Number three, a cheetah flipping among a sleuth of bears. By the way, sleuth is a gathering of bears. I learned that today for the podcast. From the running back, Tungavailoa has it to the end zone. Touchdown. Tyreek Hill. We just told you he's only been targeted once in the red zone all year. He just caught one right there on a three-yard touchdown reception. Flip it, baby. You're part of the flying Melendez with this high-flying <laughs> offense. And a touchdown and a lead for the Dolphins. After the Bears bust a coverage and Tyreek is all alone in the corner of the end zone for an easy touchdown grab, he sprints across the end line and hits the back handspring, finishing with a backflip. We saw all kinds of backflips this year from Tyreek, including that one that got the training camp crowd fired up, juiced up, gassed up. I can't even talk right because of it. Tyreek brings a lot of hype with him, and he delivers on it every step of the way, all the way to an AP Offensive Player of the Year finalist nomination for Tyreek Hill. Number two, the band is on the field. Only the band are the victorious 3-0 Miami Dolphins. for the first time since December of 2018. You're darn right they have Kevin Harlan. You know a game is big when the entire team runs onto the field as the clock hits triple zeros. After a fourth quarter of long Bills drives, both ending without points, the Dolphins' entire sideline races out to greet a defense who played over 90 snaps and held the high-powered Buffalo Bills to just 19 total points en route to a 3-0 start. What a moment that was. What a moment. The last time I recall the entire team running out like that was the Miami Miracle, and for good reason. Number one, our very first Waddle of the 2022 season. Raheem Mostert is the running back. Wow. They're going for it. Tua. Oh, and he's got oh first down. And a touchdown from Waddle. What a gutsy <laughs> Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle is right. Let's go, Jimmy. Tell him about it. Tua drills a fourth and eight glance route to Waddle after looking off the front side safety and coming back into that vacancy with an absolute dime. Waddle splits a trio of Pats defenders and races in for a 42-yard touchdown strike to give Miami a 17-zip opening day halftime lead over a lifeless Patriots offense. That was all they would need. The best part was the pan to the fans and the stands, all doing the Waddle in tandem just as Jalen hit his first of his sophomore campaign, a celebration we would see plenty more of throughout the year and without a doubt the best celebration in the National Football League. Check out the team YouTube channel for this video in its entirety. To check out all the top 10 videos, go over to the YouTube channel, the team Instagram page, the Twitter page, Facebook, wherever the hell you're getting your stuff these days on social media. It's there for you. In the meantime, I want to go ahead and give you these parting words before we take off. How come nobody out there ever told me to watch the Eric Andre show? I blame you guys for this. Not taking accountability here. That's one of the funniest freaking shows I've ever seen. I flew through the entire thing last week. Elite, elite comedy show. Eric Andre show on Hulu. Uh, originally part of Adult Swim. What else I watched was the Casey Anthony documentary. Are you guys able to watch that on Peacock without like getting upset? I had to stop doing my, this several times. I listen to Bill Burr a lot, his podcast, and you know... He always says that he has to exit the room when his wife is watching Real Housewives because he just provides commentary and she gets mad at him. That happens to me a lot as well. I have to excuse myself because I can't handle not making commentary on the TV we watch. 
And with the Casey Anthony thing, I just kept saying, liar, you're a liar. And my wife was like, hey, I get it. I know how you feel about it. Watch it yourself and tell me how you think. I, I am floored watching that person uh, try to play victim on that show. So that's what I watched this past week. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins for all the content I just talked about. Fish Tank Podcast, International Podcast, the team YouTube channel for that content we just talked about for media availabilities for Dolphins today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy. Coming home.